Your Microbiome, Indigenous Wisdom Meets Science, a look at fermenting foods with Natasha Trenev from Natron.com and Jeannie Patel-Thompson from ListenToYourGut.com. All right, I'm here today for an in-depth probiotic fermented food information and a lot of practical information that you can take home session. And so thankfully, the founder of Natron Probiotics, Natasha Trenev, is with me today. She's been in this business for 50 years. Her family has been in the yogurt culturing business for generations, used to supply most of the royal families in Europe with their personal yogurt supplies. So what I love about Natasha is she not only has the science, she has one of the world's biggest libraries on uh, microbiology. She has a full-time PhD microbiologist on staff, but she has the boots on the ground, you know, hundreds of years experience in cultivating powerful, potent bacteria that, that keep humans healthy. And we know that, you know, People like Genghis Khan used to try on his raiding parties as he went around conquering the world, used to carry his probiotic cultures with him. That's how much, you know, indigenous earlier people recognized how important probiotics and good bacteria are to our body's health. So thank you so much, Natasha, for joining us. My pleasure. In fact, they're attributing his success and all the wars to the fact that what they had is on their mares, they had these, you know, um, leather pouches where they would put in the mare's milk in the morning and they would, you know, add the culture. And then by the time lunch came around, because the horse would heat up because it's running, mm -hmm. it would, you know, curdle the milk and they would have their fresh uh, uh, curdled mare's milk for them to have uh, lunch and dinner. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And actually, that's what kept them healthy, that kept them from not being ill. And it was absolutely the best form of protein. Uh, it was pre-digested and uh, had the bacteria so it wouldn't uh, constipate them. So it was actually quite ingenious. In fact, that's what made their conquest so successful, is that they were able to have not only a good source of protein, but a healthy one and one on a daily basis. Is you know it's it's actually quite brilliant um, in terms of probably the most potent liquid nutrition you could possibly devise, and I mean, yeah. So um, I have some questions for you. So this is this is cool that we've started off talking about traditionally fermented, traditionally cultured foods um, because. Coming from a background of helping people heal themselves naturally from Crohn's colitis diverticulitis, um, I what, what we've seen over the last 18 years of helping people is people cannot handle fermented foods usually until their gut is quite healed. And so that's why we super appreciate having the Natron probiotic formulations because you sell them in individual species in powder form because yes. we have so, and we know this from uh, the gastroenterology journals that in inflamed disease states, the body loses tolerance to all bacteria, both own source and foreign source. And that's why a lot of people say, everyone's telling me to take probiotics. I take probiotics. I have a flare. I have an instant increase in symptoms. Well, part of that is the die-off effect, but part of it 
is that the body loses tolerance to any bad. The body basically goes into shutdown. It's like nothing's coming in. We're overwhelmed, you know, that whole cycle. So what we have our people do, because you offer the single species powder, is we go start with one species. And so if they have diarrhea, we go try the bifido to start. If they're constipated, we say try either the megadophilus or the digestolac to start. Take one pinch, like less than eighth, one eighth of a teaspoon. And we say do that, right? We say do that for a few days. Mm -hmm. Move up to one eighth of a teaspoon. Do that for oh, maybe sometimes a couple weeks, then move up to a quarter teaspoon. And so they start really, really gradually. And only once they're up to, you know, a half a teaspoon to a teaspoon dose on that first species, then we say now introduce species number two, again, starting with just a tiny pinch. So you can see for people in this kind of state to say, well, go ferment your cabbage or your carrots and, you know, or kimchi or any of the traditionally fermented foods, there is no way it is, it, their body can't tolerate yeah. it at all. I, I think in this area, Ginny, uh, ignorance is not bliss. Uh, people don't understand fermented foods. They don't understand that, you know, historically, uh, this kind of talent was passed on from family member to family member. And there were very specific guidelines in fermenting these foods. Right now, we have people who have sort of been divorced from this uh, traditional family passing on of knowledge, and they don't know what to look for, and they probably get the cheapest culture they can get. They don't even know what's in that culture, and they ferment the food, and they could have contaminated the uh, fermentation, and when they're that sensitive, any little thing that goes wrong can cause a huge problem. So why does the intestinal uh, uh, microbiota cause this inf inflammation cycle where your body is totally intolerant of anything? And that's why I created the powders. The reason being is that when the immune system uh, is you know, confused by the crosstalk of the bacteria that's going on in the uh, GI tract, and it's done for a reason, because the bacteria that are not so friendly to you want to confuse the immune system so it's, it starts attacking its own cellular structure so that the invaders have a more open field to do what they want. That's basically the simple explanation. So then when you bring in a product, you really have to know what product you're bringing in to help with that uh, you know, breakdown in communication, that crosstalk that happens between the immune cells, the second brain, and the microbiota in your gut. And that's why it's so difficult to fix. And I think when you realize that when a product works in small pinches like that, and helps to bring back a normalcy in the GI tract, it works even better for those people who are not that compromised. And that's why, as you know me for many years, uh, everybody says, well, why aren't you bringing out new products? And as I said, people don't understand the products I have. It's not a line extension. Each product is unique. And the reason I'm still here, and you can hear the passion in my voice, is because it's not a business for me. It's, you know, a life dream and a life endeavor uh, to make sure that, you know, the civilization that we leave behind is better than what we found. So how do you counter, because the thing that immediately comes to my mind is, you know, uh, you know, the project for mapping the gut microbiota, and we know there are hundreds and thousands, if not millions of different types of bacteria in the gut. So why are you focusing on just three? species and 
or for and thinking and hoping that they are going to be enough to shift a microbiome, why wouldn't you want to uh, put 10, 20, 30, 100 different species into a probiotic? Great question. Well, first of all, let's back up. There may be 100 trillion microbes in your gut, but out of the thousands of species we have available, the composition that's unique to each individual usually is around 160 species. It's not thousands. And that combination is unique to each individual as their fingerprint. So now you have this you know, very complex, unique balance. And the reason you don't want to put in too many bacteria is because the normal state of bacteria is mutual antagonism. Uh, they're not really there to uh, help each other. They're there to compete. So the reason I stick to the three that I've introduced is because they don't antagonize each other. Uh, many of these products that have these multiple strains, uh, they, well, I should say all of them, uh, once you mix them up, you have no idea what's in the product. And second of all, you don't know if any of those species tolerate them their, themselves once they're in the product. So by the time the human being ingested the product, you don't know what combination of bacteria you're getting if that uh, level of each of those strains that is uh, in that product is sufficient to have an impact. And since you've uh, decided to mix them all up and cause a stressful and damaging uh, holding situation while the product is in storage, in transit, on the way to reach its, your mouth, uh, you've already damaged these organisms. And you have no idea that you've disincentivized them to have any kind of role in your GI tract. In other words, bacteria are probably the sm smartest entities on this planet, and they do nothing that's not in their best interest. So if you stress them out, put them in an environment that they don't like, they have to now compete with other microbes that are in the capsule or in the bottle, and now you put them in this huge ecosystem where they now have to be stronger and smarter than they were before you put them in the capsule to battle each other. So that's why you, know, you have to control the bacteria that you have, make sure that they've evolved with human beings, that they have a, 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 never a case that where the, these bacteria go against the individual and that they tolerate each other. And so when they get into your system, they're not stressed, they're not damaged, and they're willing to go to the part and set up that optimal balance because there's already other bacteria there. And by introducing more bacteria that you don't know what their particular role is going to be in the gut only waters down your effort and will not get you the result you're looking for. I hope that makes sense. You know, I'm going to tell you something completely bizarre. What you've just described is you could, sub you could substitute the word horse for bacteria, and you have just described how a herd of horses, particularly wild horses, operates. Yes. It's absolutely fascinating to me. And I have an existing herd of five horses that were wild. I'm in the process of bringing in five more. Now, this is a family group, and this is a family group. And it's, everything is exactly what you said. If you take just a random horse and dump him into a, a family herd where, like you said, they're working together, they're bonded, everybody mm -hmm. has their roles, everybody has right. their ranking and their place in the system, and you drop in a random horse, it is a nightmare. And odds are someone's going to get very hurt and very injured 
the entire herd is no longer functioning properly, your life turns to crap because things are blowing up and they're wrecking everything in their environment because there's so much stress and there's so much, I mean, the parallels are unbelievable, Natasha, you've just, but, it, and this is the thing, nobody is talking as probiotics become more and more, you know, on vogue, nobody is talking about them that they are live animals, they are creatures. They're, they're the smartest entity, you know. They uh, are. We very arrogantly think that because they're so simple in a life form and that you have to view them at a 500x magnification to see them, that they're stupid. Yeah. No, they're simple because they're so intelligent. They can form groups and alliances to outsmart any entity they want. Yes. This is and, so fascinating about that. And you, you have to think again. So when we put the, if we put them in like the herd concept, which is I think easier for people to grasp, like think of those, you see thousands of birds flying in formation and then whoop, they change direction. How do they mm -hmm. know that? How is that inter-herd communication? Schools of fish, same thing. Fish can create amazing patterns. So there's obviously this communication that's happening, which is what Bonnie Bassler's work is highlighting yes. is how bacteria are so incredibly intelligent and communicate and speak to each other. Is there enough of us? No, not yet. Go back to sleep. Like mm -hmm. their intelligence so far surpasses what we think. And like you said, then we think, oh, we're just going to have no, no knowledge, no uh, generational knowledge of humans who've learned how to be healthy. We're just going to go in our kitchen and start playing around with these creatures. I you can't. I mean, it's so dangerous. It's like giving a nitroglycerin erector set to a child. I don't think people understand how dangerous it is because these bacteria can mutate very rapidly and they can cause a host of problems. And I do firmly believe in my 50 years of experience that bacteria and fungi and viruses can cause cancers. And the lack of our knowledge and the lack of the sanitation we have in using these uh, very uh, complex fermented foods and not learning from a generational experience is extremely dangerous. Yeah. And you know, these people that like to talk about these wild strains, I said, you know, remember, I think I said once to you in an email, that's like saying to myself, Oh, I'm going to adopt a pet, but I'm going to go to the, you know, Brazilian jungle and find something cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you have no idea what you're bringing in your house or what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. So that's a really important point. Like, cause again, you know, there's probably 50 million bloggers who are blogging about how they ferment their foods and their recipes. So maybe have as your guideline, take the information from someone who has lived and studied with an indigenous culture who has been yes. doing this for centuries right. and really understands what are the proper conditions and what are the proper procedures and, you know, what to look for and, you know, don't yeah, just you know, I'll give you another example. Uh, uh, fortunately, uh, you know, winemaking has progressed in uh, North America. We were not known for our winemaking skills. Mm -hmm. And that is a fermentation process. Most people don't know that wine is derived by fermenting grapes. And everybody takes pride in their starter cultures and methodology and storing them in proper kegs. And, and, and you can tell because you can taste wine. But when you have microorganisms, you can't tell by looking at it or simply by taste because it is a very complex science. It's rocket science. It's like somebody who's making bicycles and little, you know, uh, motorized cars tells you, oh, yeah, 
And by the way, uh, next year we're going we're looking at making the space shuttle. That's basically <laughs> what they're trying to tell you. Right. Well, yeah. I, I remember, I don't even know how many years it was, 10 or 15 years ago when I toured your facility, your manufacturing facility, and I had no, I was absolutely shocked that I had to gown up in full surgical, including the mask and the booties, before mm -hmm. I was even allowed into the holding tank before I hit your manufacturing facility. Wow. And everyone, I was like, wow. And I don't think, and again, do you think that you have that, you're bringing that different awareness and that different process because of your generational family history of culturing these microbes? I think it's a combination. I think I understand, you know, from uh, being taught by my parents and they by their parents and so forth, that, you know, you have to have pristine, clean environment when you're culturing because your culture can become contaminated and you can have a ropey set, you can have a watery set, you can have a very sour set. So uh, it's been drilled into me from very uh, early on that you have to control the area where you're setting your yogurt. You just don't throw dirty towels over it or you don't uh, uh, not engage in proper sterilization of the equipment that you're going to use. So I realized that there is huge problems with contamination and not just contamination that can ruin the taste, but it can actually cause illness. And I think this is what's more frightening to me than anything else, that these people who are fermenting and posting recipes haven't got a clue. As I said, it's like giving a child an erector set with nitroglycerin and nobody's explained the dangers, how this can blow up on you. Uh, unfortunately for us, uh, when you do explode a nitroglycerin, you have a huge a loss. But when you have a contaminated culture and you ingest it, you may not feel the results of that you know, uh, infestation for months or even years, and all of a sudden, you're hit with a, uh, a strange autoimmune disease, and you can't pinpoint where it came from. Mm -hmm. yeah. do, do you follow what I'm saying? It's not like instantaneous. Sometimes we do get a fast warning, and we break down and have food poisoning with diarrhea and vomiting, but other times, we, we don't know. Because yeah. the body is such a unique, phenomenal uh, uh, organism that it can, you know, uh, compensate for this problem, uh, maybe even for a decade. But eventually, when you're stressed out and you have that, you know, scale that I talk about so many times shift, all of a sudden, we now have a name for that disease. But that disease has been growing in the body for years and maybe a decade. And we don't realize what we've done before because we're ignorant of the food that we're ingesting. See, what I say, your probiotics have to be microbiologically pure. You have to make sure that your contamination is non-existent and that you do test each batch for contamination because you never know what even the smallest amount of contamination could have a deleterious effect on you uh, henceforth. Well, and also, as you pointed out earlier, and I've done some reading on it, that bacteria can incorporate DNA from other microbes. And oh, yes. like you said, and, and then what's the effect of that? Meanwhile, well, we're very, encouraging it by setting yeah. up a culturing medium where we've put them together. And it's... Or, and we're also collecting stuff from the air. Do you know that uh, in the 1980s, there were no deadly E. coli? Now everybody knows that there's deadly E. coli. You know how... E 
a deadly that E. coli became, it's because of the abuse of antibiotics and they shared genetic material with another organism called the Shigella and the E. coli adopted the manufacture of a toxin called the Shiga toxin. Now this bacteria and this toxin is so dangerous, it can literally shut down your kidney. And I know, I have a friend that was in Cedar sinai over the Christmas holidays in a coma for five days because she was the unlucky one at a dinner of eight that probably got a pinhead size of this organism in her gut and it literally shut down her kidney and the doctors can't even give you an antibiotic because for sure the bacteria re retaliate and pump even more toxins to retaliate for you taking the antibiotic. So yes, these bacteria are getting smarter every day. Yeah. And our ignorance is just not going to benefit us at all. Yeah, our ignorance is just basically training them to be more potent. And right. That's exactly right. And, 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 and uh, also the other cliche, ignorance is not bliss when you're doing your own fermentation and giving the fermenting food. Make sure you buy a starter from a company that is actually making the culture that you're using. Right. You know, this is so hard for people to understand because people repackage. Uh, they go to the contract manufacturer and repackage. Make sure that this company has microbiologists on staff and that this starter culture has been checked by somebody. And you know what the heck you're fermenting your food with. Yes, exactly. Very important point that almost nobody follows up with. So I want to ask you another question about... Sure. Um, so the, the thing you just talked about, about how, you know, when you're fermenting your own food and if you're not doing it the correct way, you could be seeding for something that doesn't pop for five or 10 years. And that reminds me of the whole soil organism discussion uh -huh. that you and I have been having for about 15 years and that it's, you know, this giant experiment because humans have never consumed high doses of soil organisms except for via natto, right? The Japanese have been culturing yes. natto. What is that? Is that bacillus coagulans? Uh, I believe it's bacillus coagulans. It could be bacillus subtilis. I'm not quite sure. Bacillus, yeah, one of the two. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the only one that has a long-term record of human safety. But now a lot of the probiotic products that doctors and functional medicine doctors are recommending are almost exclusively soil organisms. And so then what, what I see happening is I educate people and go, well, I don't know, maybe it's beneficial, maybe it's not. And that's my whole point. You don't know. There's no long-term 50, 60, 100, 300 year history of human safety. And they form these spores and the spores cannot be killed and they cannot be excreted. And we don't know. And so then what I've had a, a, quite a bit of feedback from my people is saying, you know, I was taking these and then I started getting this swelling and tenderness in the right side of my colon. For some reason, it's always the right side. Mm -hmm. um, and going, well, maybe they're doing something. So, this is what I'm saying is like, you know, and, and then people go, well, you just, you just like nature and, and you don't like anything else. And I'm like, I would love to have another company the manufactured the way you're manufacturing because I don't like sounding like a nature and salesperson because I'm not mm. right. I don't receive a dime from you. We don't even receive, we don't even exchange free product, but 
I have not, and even in Germany, who I would assume would kind of lead this because uh-huh. they're so at the forefront of alternative medicine, right. I haven't even been able to find a manufacturer there who is adhering to these um, guidelines and to the, the, the sterile conditions that you supply in your procedure. Well, Ginny, first of all, um, I've never gone into this business to make money. And, uh, you know, ignorance is not bliss. It's fact, it's quite dangerous. Now, how do I know so much about soil organisms? Because many years ago, uh, Jordan and I uh, invested in a company that was making soil organisms, but making soil organisms for the environment. And that's where I did have a chance to learn a lot more about them than I normally would have. And, uh, you know, the soil organisms are much hardier and much more adaptive to their environment and look, the objective of every bacteria is to dominate its uh, you know, area where it lives, and it might do so at the host's expense. Mm-hmm. Now, when you eat uh, food, you may get minute amounts of these uh, soil yeah. bacteria, but you don't get billions of them and you don't get a concentrate. Number uh-huh. two, uh, the soil organisms not only have two forms that they change to, they have three. And the form that's the most dangerous is called the cell wall free form. And that one can operate like a virus in the body and become anything it wants. And that's what I'm concerned about because the soil organisms are there. And how do they work, for instance, in helping us keep healthy crops? It's a competitor for mold or yeast. And it you know, uh, actually eats up the chitin of the bugs and the bugs die. So you're thinking, okay, if it's eating up the chitin, the armor that a, that a bug has when it attacks a plant and it makes it die, could it be eating up something in your intestinal wall and hurting you, but you're not feeling it because it's long-term? And that's where the danger comes in because I think most people think, oh, well, they're very effective against uh, uh, yeast or fungus or other organisms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're so people instantly effective. feel so much better. They're like, oh my gosh, this, this one works better than any other one I've tried. Yes, but at what expense? Mm-hmm. You also feel very much better if they give you a, um, an anti-inflammatory, a pharma drug, uh, the inflammation goes down. But what is happening to your immune system? They're taking a hammer to your immune system and telling it to shut up and not keep annoying you with sending you messages. Mm-hmm. You may feel good for the time being, but is this a good strategy for you uh, to engage in shutting down your immune system? No, mm-hmm. it's the same concept. Uh, you know, uh, that's why I say that anybody who's a healthcare practitioner cannot take the risk of giving microbes and, uh, and don't even know where these microbes are made. Who's the party formulating these microbes? What is the safety record or what are they, uh, how do they test these products before they sell them to you for each batch? There are so many dangers that people would not put their life on the line to get some you know, relief temporarily without knowing what's going to happen to them in a month, in a year or three years. It's absolutely astounding to me. Now, to go back to the Japanese and their fermentation of natto. You know, uh, when you have a fermentation process, it's different because you don't have a lot of bacteria that survive. And second of all, you know, we in the Northern America, the Canadians and the Americans, we think just because something is good in another culture, we start now consuming it in large amounts. And this is the problem that was with soy milk, if you recall. 
Soy milk was a big phenomenon in the 1980s and 1990s. And what did we find out? By consuming soy milk, which everybody thought was the best thing since sliced bread, mm -hmm. we found out, hey, you know, there were some deleterious side effects. And all of a sudden, the soy milk business went down the tubes. Yeah. And for those of you listening who don't know what those side effects are, it's a massive estrogen intake, yes. it's suppression of thyroid function, and it inhibits the absorption and utilization of several key minerals. Right. So, so here you are. And then, you know, nobody bothered to explain to the American public that soy milk was a treat where the Japanese would consume maybe four or six ounces once a week as a treat. It yep. was not something they consumed, you know, by the quart every day. And that's my same example with natto. You know, you have to look at how it was utilized. And plus, that culture has developed a tolerance for that. Yeah. Their body has developed a defense system and a tolerance for that, which means that if you didn't grow up in that culture and experience that, you may not have developed the tolerance. Well, and I can, I can speak to that directly, Natasha, because I lived in Tokyo for two years and the soy thing, absolutely. So we would go out and I would just be me. I was there before. I mean, I could go a whole day without seeing another non-Japanese person. There were no signs in English at the time I went. Mm -hmm. um, and so we would go out with, say, there were eight of us. I was the only foreigner. They would order one dish of tofu for eight people. That's the level of soy consumption that, yeah. like you said, or like you said, you're out and it's a treat to have, you know, they have soy milk machines that are, are extra cold and they bubble it and it's mm -hmm. to make it frothy. And the kids like, could I have one? Could I have one? It was a treat. It was not the thing that was sitting in your fridge for your daily consumption. Exactly. And then for natto, um, they would often order it to kind of, cause it's disgusting. It, the smell, the taste, it's, there's no way you would pick up a lot. They, they put like a, a thin layer of it on a, on a, you know, a, a, you know, a roll of sushi rice. You know how, like when you order, right. you yeah. order sushi and that the, the prawn or the fish is sitting over top of a block of rice. Mm -hmm. That's what they do with natto and they wrap seaweed around it and they would order one <laughs> and go here, have this. Thank and I'd you. be like, no way. And they go taste a little bit. And then you know what? They didn't order one for everybody at the table. And then maybe someone would eat it and everyone would go, oh, he's really brave. So even there you go, okay, this is a culture traditionally. If they're having that, they're having a tiny amount with a Thank massive you. amount of rice. <laughs> yeah. you got a high, it's slimy. It stinks. It's seriously gross. So, and again, you have to have something like that as a child to develop that kind of tolerance. So then, you know, what's the, I got a product, uh, Nordic Naturals, which is one of my favorite fish oil companies, uh -huh. just sent me a sample and they've turned them into gummy bears. So it is the bacillus coagulans and they're putting in 1.5 billion per two gummy bears. And I go- and I don't, and see, here's, I don't even know what the comparison is. So that one little sushi rice of natto, how many billion CFU of bacillus coagulans is in that? Is no, probably it? not in the billions, probably in the thousands. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So nope. right, oops, sorry. Right there, we, again, we have, like you said, we're, 
appropriating information from indigenous cultures yes. and packaging into this and going, well, look, there's this whole history, but we're like doing it with no wisdom and there's no exactly. cross comparison. And no empirical data that we've yeah. gotten from our, you know, uh, ancestors or relatives, how this product should be taken or eaten. Uh, give you another comparison. Remember the rage about uh, uh, taking uh, apricot pits? Yes. You know, for, you know, for uh, yeah, for cancer. Well, you know, uh, in the old country, people used to consume a small amount of apricot pits uh, to keep healthy. They don't know what, what it was, but we find that they, it contains a very low level of arsenic. Uh. You see? And so, you know, they, they, the, the elders would tell you, no, you, do, you don't eat that. You eat that maybe once a year and you'll take like a half of the seed and they have very specific directions on how you're supposed to consume that. Yeah. You know? I, have, I have another example here. So this is something that um, it's 100 wild plant enzymes and probiotics. Now, this is a product from Korea. So, and it was formulated by a Korean PhD, but he's been working with his wife, growing their own food and fermenting it. And he has published handbooks on how to do it. So he's pulling from the indigenous knowledge and he's pulling from this. Mm -hmm. And then they're taking all of these things that has everything, wild apricot, acacia, grape, lettuce, parsley, pheasant's eye, blah, blah, blah. And then they um, ferment it, naturally occurring strains of probiotics and enzymes, including but not limited to over 1 million lactobacilli per 1 mil. So here's my first question. If it's lactobacilli, doesn't there have to be milk somewhere? Or are no, they... No, no, lactobacilli was the original name because the, they're called milk bacteria because they're originally isolated from fermented milk products. Okay, so they could take it and use that as part of their starter culture? Yeah, they could use it as a starter culture and it doesn't have to have a milk base. Which is how you do your dairy-free That's right, with the chickpea. I try to uh, emulate the composition of carbohydrates and proteins in choosing the chickpea in order to simulate that diet that the bacteria need in order to express their fermentation end products such as a bacteria sin or amino acids and peptides. So yeah, you got to find the right composition to substitute for milk so that the bacteria are induced into producing these beneficial byproducts for you. Mm -hmm. Then it's, don't do it because you say, oh, gee, I like this person and I'm going to really waste my cellular energy and produce all this stuff. No, you sort of have to entice it into doing it. Yeah, because as you pointed out, they are intelligent, highly, highly intelligent organisms. There has to be a win-win. Yeah, and my only question is uh, for this product is why do you want to do the enzymes? How have you shown me scientifically that this is a better way that just because you're taking all these fruits and, and vegetables and made these enzymes and some probiotics in there, why is this a better way for you to get your nutrients or your enzymes than the traditional way? Yes. And I guess what they're saying is for Korea, this is the traditional way. So yes. then, you know, for me, what I would have to do if I wanted to consume this myself, I would have to purchase his books and I would have to read it. I would see if he actually knows what he's talking about. Like, right. like you know, for me, I do a lot of 
because I'm not putting something in my body. I've worked so hard to be healthy. I'm not throwing it away on the latest fad, right? It's like, I like what I see here. I like what he's saying. And then after I did that, I would want to see, well, where's the independent, like you said, where's the independent third party testing per batch to confirm there's been no contamination. Like I came, I visited your facility. I actually looked at how the product was being made. So there's, yeah, it's a whole, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think what we do in the health food industry is we go off on these tangents and I'm not debating maybe his uh, proficiency in doing this, but why do we need this? What, What is it for? I mean, I believe that you should be taking enzymes that are proven to work uh, and when you need them, and you take the right probiotics that have been co-evolving with human beings, like we know our bifidobacterium infantis now uh, has been shown with recent studies at UC Davis, actually co-evolved with human beings uh, since the beginning of time, and will, has shown that breast milk components specifically were designed to stimulate this species of bacteria and healthy newborn infants. And unfortunately for us in North America, only 7% of infants, even if they're vaginally born and breastfed, will have this bacteria present. So shouldn't we be spending our time, you know, and I'm just making a comparison, trying to figure out where we've messed up in this evolutionary process and forgotten what has made us healthy rather than going off on tangents and looking at stuff that may look good when we haven't fixed the major problem mm-hmm. that's that already that's already com- compatible with our genetics that's right with our our you know our dna and yeah um yeah. and the other thing too that that strikes me you know around the whole um bacteria thing is you know i for myself personally i have a little garden <laughs> because this is all i can handle yeah. Right, I can't go out and plant a big garden. It just doesn't work for me. So I bought myself a little four-foot planter box that sits on yeah. my porch right outside my kitchen. Because if I have to go outside and walk into my yard, it's not going to happen. I know that about myself. So I know, I know that I'm making it easy. I know all, everything that's in the soil that I used. I purchased it specifically because I'm very aware that the soil creates the plant. And I have organic, you know, wildcrafted plants in there only. And I go out and I pick my salad greens. And so whether I'm throwing them in my Vitamix or I'm having them as a salad, I pick them fresh from my garden where I know what, I, what every component in that soil, I know where it's come from, and I don't wash it. I just mm-hmm. tear it up and I eat it. That's my version of beneficial soil bacteria right? Yeah. That would be the normal or when I was a kid and we would go out in the garden and we would pull a carrot and we would brush off the dirt and we would rub it on our jeans and then we would eat it. That's a normal amount of soil bacteria, right? Well, I agree with you. I agree with you because that's, you know, historically proven to be safe and yeah. it's about the volume and it, you know, what do you take to concentrate? This is another thing. I think what we've done in Western cultures that if a little bit is okay, then let's blow it up and give you a lot. Yes, yes. And then, well, that, exactly. The, and not realizing that, again, for creatures. The tolerance issue. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You can't, 
body can't tolerate it. And that's where I think we have to come back to basics. I think that's why we have an explosion of intestinal illness. Do you know, uh, somebody showed me data, and I'm trying to remember, about four years ago, the Canadians have the highest percentage of inflammatory bowel disease of anybody in the Western Hemisphere. Yes. I couldn't be able to figure out, but believe it or not, it comes from the food and the environment. Well, you know what else is... You know what else is uh, quite prevalent in the areas in Canada that are actually pushing that stat up? They're oil areas. Yes. And I know because I had a job doing that in university and I would take visiting oil executives for other countries to tour our facilities in Alberta and Mm -hmm. I would drive on site and my gut would start flaring. So I knew there was something to do with the oil industry that was producing this massive. And then what are they doing? How much of that is going into the water? Right? Oh, yeah. And, and then people don't understand that microbes are also airborne. So True. there could be something that was happening with the oil refining process that was releasing a lot of bacteria uh, into the environment. By the way, uh, that same company that my husband and I invested to also made bacteria to emulsify oil. So, you know, companies are pumping in bacteria uh, to emulsify oil and make it easy to pump out. Uh And this bacteria may get into the environment and you're breathing this in and it could be causing that reaction that you had. Oh, so interesting. Yes. Yeah. There's so many pieces that that we don't put together. Right. And that's why I'm saying that we have sort of aborted learning from our ancestors uh, the cautionary tale, especially I know from Eastern Europe, my mom was very strict about hygiene and sanitation and how we made our food. And that's why I think the culture was very healthy. Here, we consume stuff in great amounts and then don't know what made us sick. We, we don't ha- we've lost that empirical ability to, to know when we should stop something and not go any further. Well, and there's another parallel to that is grains. Because yes. in our culture, we use yeast, and, but there's no indigenous culture that consumed any grain, whether it was corn, millet, wheat, without soaking it for a minimum of 24 hours. Yes. Nobody soaks grains. And then look what we have. We have massive wheat belly. We have diabetes. We have insulin problems. We have, and they can all be traced back to improper food preparation. Exactly. You remember, like, I'm sure from your culture, you come in, where you soak rice. You soak mm-hmm. rice for 24 hours before you cook it, and you throw out that water. Why? That's to get the starch out, correct? Yeah. yeah. So again, this is not taught in the, in the home. And that's why people go out and they say, oh, look at this. I'm going to get, you know, soil bacteria. Oh, my goodness. I know if, I, if, uh, if uh, 2,000 are good for me, I'm going to take 20 billion. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so it's a complete loss with reality and norms. And that's why I think we have to come back, especially in the health food industry, to what I call normal education, that more bacteria is not necessarily better. If these bacteria have not co-evolved with us and are not symbiotic with us, we should not be ingesting them in large numbers. And we should be careful. We should know when we're putting living microorganisms in our mouth, who actually did the research? Who's the formulator? What the heck did they know about fermentation? And I hate to say this, but somebody please explain to me where in medical school they teach a doctor how to formulate products. 
They don't. Yeah. They haven't got the foggiest. Mm-hmm. And so when people tell me, oh, it's, you know, so-and-so doctor formulated this. And I said, that's great. But what, aside from his medical degree, what experience does he have in making these products? And what does he know in biochemistry or microbiology that he's, you know, lending his name to this product? And this is where the public, I think, has to retrain themselves and figure out who is the person knowledgeable, who has the experience, who has the track record. Uh, you know, uh, luckily, I can say knock on wood, in the 35 years that Nature has been selling, we have had no complaints with Health Canada, the FDA, the FTC, even the Better Business Bureau. Find out the customer, and it doesn't just mean in probiotics, everything that you take. You have to find out the person who has what I call the vertical or the in-depth knowledge. Mm-hmm. Don't just buy something because it's telling you sexy stuff in the box or in the bottle that we're green and we support green projects. Do you know, uh, it was in the news here in LA that some company by the name of uh, Wild Planet was selling infant food and that uh, they were you know, recently sued by the Attorney General of California because they, find, they found five times the amount of lead in that infant food then should be normally accepted in food. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but it's got a real sexy label and they're green and that's how you're putting all this healthy stuff in. And this is where I'm saying it's very, very dangerous that some company, as Jordan says, starts operating out of their garage, but they're spending all their money in marketing and putting fancy labels on and then people go out and buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People got to get a whole lot more rigorous. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for your candid, honest opinions and that you are someone who still comes from a lineage, who has cultured, you know, these microorganisms through your generations. You have, you were trained by your mother and your grandmother. And so it's wonderful that we still have you here sharing, you know, this kind of boots on the ground knowledge with us. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Just say that, you know, if you want to go to a Thai restaurant, you wouldn't go to someone that comes from Indonesia and want to have Thai food. It's the same thing. It's the same kind of logic you would use. And I'm happy that, you know, you and I have been friends for so many years and uh, that we still espouse the same values and that we really honor this industry by, I think, sticking to our ethics and what we believe in. Absolutely. Okay. We, we can actually cut it there because that's one segment. That's awesome. Now I'm going to move. I'm going to create a different one uh, where we're going to move into the questions from my readers that are uh-huh. all about the Natron, the specific Natron products. Did you like the answers we gave? Did it make sense Loved to you? Loved it. It's perfect. And you know what, Natasha? It's, um, it's a conversation nobody is having about fermented foods. Thank you. That's what and I very worries me about, really, that people exactly. are so ignorant and fermenting foods, especially cold fermentation, just sends chills down my spine. What is cold fermentation? Well, you know what they they keep the temperature down and they don't pre pre treat the substance. You know, uh, well, you know, I call it cold. You know, they they don't cook anything; they just take things raw and yeah. they warm them up a little bit, and then they try to culture. They don't understand that everything has background noise. And that, you know, that, that, that's not going to have you have a healthy set. For instance, if I didn't heat treat our, their milk before I made the yogurt, 
uh, I don't know what, what would be sitting in the yogurt because all products come with their own bacterial content. That's what right. we call background noise. And if you don't preset that set, uh, you know, culture, then when you can, even though you put in a clean culture, there's something still alive in there that's going to be competing with the culture you come in and nobody knows what's going to dominate. Right. So you may say, well, because I've cultured for this bacteria, that's what this product contains. But yes. actually, this that already existed has, is actually now present at 100 to 1 of what you put in there. Exactly. And I exactly. see. Yeah, because this is a new marketing um, selling point. On the product I was talking about, it says um, low temperature fermentation for living enzymes and probiotics. A lot of them are, are touting that it's raw, right? Well, we I, I, raw I, that's a whole different conversation about raw. And uh, uh, I think our industry is obsessed with raw. I think uh, they don't realize that until man learned to cook his food, you couldn't develop the brain because you would have to be eating all day because your body couldn't digest the food enough and get enough nutrients from it until man started cooking food. And I was so happy that Michael Pollan came up with his new book and talks about why cooking is necessary to break down the food so that we can absorb the enzymes. I'm not talking about processed foods. I think no. people, again, don't understand what, you know, uh, damaging processing can do. But, you know, you look at every healthy culture that I've studied around the world, people don't eat that much raw foods. Yeah. I've never found one. Most of the food is cooked. Even uh, the Mongols, uh, they stir fry that they picked them from China. Why do they stir fry? Because the stir frying kills the contaminants that's on that product. Why do hot cultures use a lot of spices? The spices are antifungal, antiviral, mm -hmm. antibacterial, and that's why they add a lot of spice to tame you know, whatever bacteria you got in the food in the first place. Mm -hmm. And also, even just that flash heat of a walk or a quick blanching steam disables, you know, goitrogens and other, you know, blockers that the plants are like animals. They're living sentient creatures. They don't want to be eaten either. So they develop natural defense systems to go, well, we're going to make sure that you don't do so well if you eat us. And That's the right. whole raw movement is ignoring this. If they just did a little bit of research, they'd find out, actually, nobody should eat spinach raw. <laughs> like, no. blanch it first, at least. Or like you said, throw it in your stir fry, like in a wok. It's just, it's really quick. It's a couple minutes. Right. You're not cooking the life or nutrients out of it. Well, but not only that, but I, you know, I should post on my site. I used to have, you know, how to properly wash uh, raw vegetables and nobody washes them. You know, I soak them actually in distilled vinegar <clears throat> along with a little bit of hydrogen peroxide in a big bowl of water for five minutes. And then I rinse them thoroughly. And then, you know, usually I saute my spinach with garlic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, put a little bit of olive oil, but there's a lot of vegetables, you know, like in Eastern Europe, we're considered very healthy. The only thing we eat raw is, you know, uh, tomatoes, onions, and, and green salad and cucumbers. Yeah, exactly. We don't even eat peppers raw. You yeah. know, we mm -hmm. usually broil them and skin them and, you know, serve them as a delicacy. But, you know, uh, this obsession with raw and then my other pet peeve, if I can say this in, in where I think a lot of us are getting into trouble the people that use uh, uh, processors, you talk about your yes. Vitamix, I'm talking about juicers. Yeah. They don't understand. You can't leave that machine sitting out for more than an hour. 
before you reuse it. No. Uh, and, you know, I absolutely have shivers going down my spine when you go into a health food store and I see a juicer sitting there on the counter from morning until night before somebody washes it. Yeah. I said, I hope people understand they're getting a whole lot of bacteria and other gook in there, right? You know, because the, the machine needs to be disassembled and washed a couple of times a day, minimum. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's, that's why, you know, you, you really don't need to know what foods you can't consume and what foods you can't consume. Yeah. And, and just being, you know, like, again, we keep coming back to the thing that we think that, oh, this MD is saying this and this nutritionist is saying this. Well, why aren't we looking to hundreds, if not thousands of years of human tribal knowledge like yes. Dr. Weston Price did? He went yes. and he spent 10 years traveling the globe when he found a group of people that had no degenerative disease and a tooth decay rate of less than 1%. Those are the tribes he studied and said, what are you eating? How are you preparing your foods? And then brought those back to the States and had them analyzed in a lab for their nutrient content. He's already done that incredible work. Those of us who don't have any contact with traditional cultures, we don't yes. have them in our families. Yes. Why don't we just follow his work? He's identified what produces a healthy, robust human being, longevity. All the pieces are in there. Why don't mm -hmm. we just eat like they ate? And don't just cherry pick, right? Don't go, oh, well, they ate, you know, cashew nuts. Well, how did they prepare the cashew nuts, mm -hmm. right? Oh, look, they soaked them, then they roasted them, then they right. ate them. All right. Okay. It's the same example I can give you in uh, Papua New Guinea. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that uh, it's an evolutionary process. Again, you look at a healthy culture, but an evolutionary process changes the composition of the microbiota that allows you to absorb and digest certain foods that other cultures may not be able to do. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm using this example. They actually uh, were able uh, through evolutionary processes to change the composition of their microbiota where they can uh, now obtain protein from that yam type potato that, that's a basis for their diet. Right. And, you know, scientists were puzzled. And there's a very fascinating article, which I don't want to go into depth to, but basically they say that because they've evolved their microbiota, they're able to extract the proper nutrients from this plant-based uh, product that other civilizations could not because they haven't gone through that evolutionary process. And right. that's where I think my, my bottom line is, that we're trying to adopt concepts and ideas that may have worked in other cultures but we have to look to our own culture. What did our ancestors, you know, in the, in the last maybe uh, 50 years eat and that were healthy? What, what, they, what they did they consume that wasn't healthy? Yeah. And you I know? would even say now we've got to go back further than 50 years. I think we've got to go back at least 100 because yes. 50 years, that's the advent of processed, well, more than 50 years now is the advent of processed foods. And that's where everything started to go horribly wrong. Right. So because we can't even look, for me, at age 50, I can't necessarily, I can't look at my parents. I for sure have to look at my grandparents, but who I really should be looking at is my great-grandparents. Yes. And I can tell you, my great-grandparents, when I tell this to people, they're utterly shocked. My Macedonian and my Serbian grandmothers, what did they have for dinner almost every day was yogurt and bread. Mm -hmm. 
and people are shocked. Oh, you're not supposed to have dairy and you're not supposed to have wheat. And I said, I'm sorry, but my relatives are very healthy. My mother didn't even know half the diseases existed when we moved to the, uh, to the States. Yeah. So I said that this is again, where we're getting crazy and we're not understanding which diet kept your ancestors healthy. And maybe your friend who comes from Indonesia cannot have that diet because mm -hmm. they have a whole genetic makeup. And that's why I gave you my example of the people of Papua New Guinea, that they evolved a microbiota where they can eat this yam type potato and derive protein from it. Mm -hmm. This is so important for us to just because you can tolerate something and you get, you derive, you know, nutrients from it doesn't mean I can't. Yeah. And then you've got someone like me who's like East Indian, English and Jewish, Russian Jewish. <laughs> oh, what do I eat? I don't know. And that's where we're back to listening to your gut. You've got to tune in. I uh -huh. eat something and I'm now to the point where uh, I'll just put it in my mouth and chew it and my body will go, don't swallow that. Or like if it, I've been in a, I was in a five-star restaurant and my friend had prawns and he goes, do you want to taste them? I was like, sure. I chewed it and I actually spat it out in the linen napkin. And I said to him, I would not eat that if I were you. Cause my body had told me something very wrong here. He was up all night vomiting diarrhea from food poison. Of course, he ate it because like, it's a five-star restaurant. It's going to be fine. But you know, that's where we go, well, for mixed race, yeah, I can look at the three races that are, are my makeup. But then at the end of the day, I need to taste or eat that food and then see what my body says about it and see also exactly. the thresholds. My body may go, well, I like this, but only this much. Okay. Yeah. A perfect example, absolutely perfect example. And seafood should be very carefully consumed. And you're right. You should try a little piece. And if it does taste off in any way, don't eat it. Yeah. And and even like to, to know that your body has the wisdom, like this prawn that I ate did not, there nothing tasted wrong with it. But my body knew because my body is filled with bacteria too. I have that intelligence in my body and they can speak uh -huh. to me. Exactly. You know, like let's open our consciousness to get a little wiser about how we all coexist here, right? And you're in tune, Jenny. That's the big difference. Yeah. You are in tune with your body because you've suffered and you've gone through it. I had to Most be. Most <laughs> people I know, it's like whatever their buddy tells them about, hey, let's go get, you know, uh, this uh, uh, blended, you know, protein with, they've got, you know, fresh vegetables and fresh fruits. And I said, before you do that, find out, how clean that machine is. Yeah. And that's the kind of questions we should be asking. Yeah, very true. Very true. Thank you, Natasha. Thank you so much.